Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Michael Sestouli and welcome to Cinemates, a podcast where a bunch of mates chat about cinema over some drinks. In this episode, I'm joined by Sophia Savage and Daniel Vlachos. Together with Savage and Vlach, we discuss the World War One epic 1917, directed by Sam Mendes and starring George Mackay, Dean Charles Chapman, and many more. While drinking some White Claws, we chat about Roger Deakins' stunning cinematography, McKay's underrated performance, and the film's innovative storytelling. As always, make sure you're following Cinemates wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review to support us. Now sit back and enjoy this episode of Cinemates. Full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You want answers. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Open the pod bay doors, Bill. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. I am nothing. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Get busy, Larry. Savin Blarch, welcome to the podcast. How are you going? Thanks, Michael. Good. Nice. Got a good episode for this one. So let's dive in. Both new to the podcast and what we like to do when we have new guests on is run them through the Cinemates gauntlet, five questions about cinema to see who you are and what you like to watch. So first question, kick it off with you, Sophia. Most memorable movie that you saw in cinemas? Well, for this one, the first thing that came to mind was actually 1917. I think it was the mm. last movie I saw in cinemas. And it was just so memorable watching it because I feel like the whole experience of like going to the movies and seeing it on the big screen and the sound and everything. I remember just walking out thinking it was like the best movie I'd ever seen in cinemas. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can feel that reaction, especially because like, I don't know, for me, I didn't have any like expectations of how good it would be. And it definitely blew some socks off. Yeah. Blatch, most memorable movie? I think mine would have to be the first Avatar movie. Mm, when it came nice. out, it was like amazing, like nothing you'd ever seen before. You didn't realise those special effects were even possible. Yeah. And I watched it in the movie with my grandpa who has a funny laugh. So he was just <laughs> laughing at everything. And everyone was looking and it was, it was very memorable. <laughs> I didn't know it was like a comedy film. <laughs> Mate, he would, he can't really hear. He'd laugh at like Schindler's List. Because <laughs> oh, Jesus. Just laughs at the action scene. Yeah, oh. fair enough. Cute. Next question. Fastest TV show binge? I said for me during COVID, I binged Normal People. Mm. Uh, such a good show. I loved it. Really good. Cried my eyes out. Um, also Homeland. Mm. Such a good show. It was on Netflix. Just... 
I couldn't stop watching it. It was so good. I haven't seen Homeland. What's the premise? It's about um, the CIA agent played by Claire Danes. Mm. And it kind of follows, the first few seasons follow um, how this like American soldier who was held in captivity in Afghanistan, he returns to the US mm. and she's been tipped off that he's been converted to as a, like an extremist. Yeah. Um, so she's trying to figure out if he's plotting a terrorist attack or not. Um, oh. And in the meantime, she's also suffering from bipolar. It's really good. It's like, wow. yeah, the, the later seasons are better though, I think. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Blarch, fastest binge? I reckon my fastest binge would have to be Line of Duty. Mm. It's like a British crime uh, TV series. I reckon I got through, uh, there's about uh, tens of hours. I reckon I got through <laughs> it in less than a week. Yeah. Uh, so that one kept me up. And like all the, um, the first season, it has like, I like every sort of good crime uh, TV series is always mm. like a bad guy that like and a mystery in every season mm. and they all sort of tie together then so it's definitely all a, different people in each season yeah they yeah. all have some sort of common link okay links up so it's definitely a watch interesting haven't seen it. nice one next question favorite Australian movie I found this kind of hard to decide but I recently watched Moulin Rouge which I don't know if it's an Australian movie but mm. it's directed by Baz Luhrmann who's yeah. an Australian director I think yeah. it's filmed in We'd Sydney too that. Nicole stars in it. Yeah. I love all his movies like Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet, but I feel like Moulin Rouge. I really loved that. Mm. Did you like Elvis? I haven't seen it. Really? Yeah, I haven't seen uh, it yet. Did you like it? Yeah, really good. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely one to watch. Watch. I reckon mine would be the Australian movie that I'd most want to watch again would be Muriel's Wedding. That's a classic. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, The Dressmaker is a really good movie. That is well. Yeah. I haven't seen that myself, but I've heard amazing Kate, things about Kate it. Kate wins it. Yeah. She completely nails the Aussie accent. Really? It's unbelievable. Wow. I could not even swear. Oh, my oh God. also Australia by Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. That was good. True. Yeah. List goes on. Uh, next question. Movie that you think everyone needs to see. I would say The Pianist. Okay. By Roman nice. Polanski. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Holocaust film, so not exactly mm. light viewing, but <laughs> really good movie. Yeah. Um, I just think it's an amazing story. Um, it stars Adrian Brody, who's like my favorite actor. Mm. And I think he won he won the Academy Award for Best Actor. And I'm pretty sure he's still the youngest actor to have ever won Best Actor. Yeah, I think um, so. It's just such an amazing movie. And I think it's like such an important story. And it's just so moving. Yeah. yeah it's probably the best Holocaust film I've won, I reckon. It's just like such a beautiful movie. Yeah. Mm. I can't like I describe like it anywhere else. Like it's yeah. underrated though compared to like she's yeah. for sure. I think like it's, boy in the striped pajamas, but yeah. I think it's it's a it's a different side of it and it's a different it's not the typical like war, bloodshed, yep. all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, good choice. Everyone definitely needs to say that. Blutch? Now, I was thinking about this question for a while. It's kind of <laughs> hard to think of an answer because it's different to what's your favorite movie. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, I thought oh, I may as well get it a bit French here and think um, The Untouchables. Nice. It's like a very yeah. um, Like it's a very happy, there's a, like a very pleasant story, but you've mm. also got like um, – Issues of poverty um, mm. in there and people with disabilities. So like, and it all ends up with a relatively um, happy ending. So yeah. It's definitely a watch. Yeah, nice. Very heartwarming movie. Uh, TV show that you're watching at the moment? I've been watching Shit's Creek, which is really funny. Is that good? So good. Have you not seen it? No. My parents it's have watched really it and they funny. rave about it. I was not, like it, it's not the usual kind of show I'd watch, but mm. I love it. It's so funny. It's just like, I feel like if you have like siblings and stuff, you just better relate. It's hilarious. Okay. But also I just finished White Lotus season two. Ooh. Oh, same. I haven't seen the finale. No spoilers. Oh my I've got, I'm going to watch it after this. It's so good. It's yeah, just fuck. incredible. Such a good also show. Also Housewives always. 
Do you think? <laughs> do you think season one or season two is better I of White Lotus? One. Really? Yeah. yeah. What did you think of that? Just being able to go into season two. Well, I got into it because I was with a friend and she was watching it like the third episode. Mm. And I was so drawn into it. I just had to start it like from episode one, mm. and I thought it was amazing. Yeah. Just like, obviously, I think this season was more about like sex and like relationships and stuff mm. but just like the integration of like classical like renaissance like art and imagery and stories and yeah the, oh i just thought it was amazing it was so like a shakespeare good. play in modern times i just thought it was so good it's so good yeah and i think you like because all the characters are super rich so they're very flamboyant and mm. bold um and you sort of whenever movies are, have those types of people in it they're always very sort of loud but i think white lotus you also get like huge insight into the the characters themselves what mm. they're thinking and like all the conflicts and I think that's what also makes it such a good watch. Yeah. And the I mean, setting. In Italy. Oh, yeah, the setting. Like settings. I wasn't like I didn't Get really want to Italy. watch the Hawaii one because like it's so American. Yeah. Like, Italy was just good. so good. The the Hawaiian one is good as well, but yeah, it's just an amazing show. And the actually the the first season they filmed during COVID because HBO didn't have any shows coming out. Mm. So they were like quick like we need to make something and Crazy experiment, oh, Tato. Well. Yeah, did very well. Season two, I think. They're in Asia. I read. Really? Yeah. Asia. Interesting. Like spiritual. Okay. It's done a done a good job for Jennifer Coolidge's career. Yeah. Well, a renaissance for her. All right. Well, let's get into 1917 now. So, to the listeners out there who haven't seen it, what would we say about it in one word? And what would we rate it out of five stars? I think a word, a good word, would be relentless, mm. because you sort of and like I think soldiers in the movie um it's the same theme yeah sort of never get a break yeah and the way it's sort of set up with the cin- cinematography mm. you sort of never feel like you get a chance to um just process what's happened mm. it's always going on to something else yeah i reckon in terms of ratings out of five mm. okay it can be any decimal you want yeah uh <laughs> like a four four and a half okay like pretty good movie yeah it's definitely one of the it's definitely the best World War One movie I've seen. Mm. Not that there, I've seen that many. Yeah, but um, yeah, definitely a very solid movie. It's a movie that, like, when you're watching, like, on your laptop, you don't even think to go on your phone when you're no. bored. Yeah, you're sort of always glued to the always yeah. glued to the screen. You kind of have to be. Yeah. Uh, good, good word and rating there. Sav, what, what have you got? I said immersive. Okay. Just because you're fully drawn into it from the get go, mm. and you just can't look away. Like you're yeah. just attached to it the whole time even though you kind of get fatigue as a viewer you just have no choice but to keep watching Mm. um and you just are fully in that world you're in Schofield's world the whole time yeah and you're just yeah you're absorbed in what he's going through in like minute by minute Mm. um out of five I think I'd give it a 4.7 okay nice do you give him any fives I don't give many fives okay. and I would give it a five except I have a few points where I fault it, but I can go into those. Okay. Later. Okay. We'll discuss this. I, my one word was storytelling, kind of a combination of both your words. I think that at the end of the day, the story is very simple and it's just a good example or an amazing example rather of just like a, a simple story done really well. And like you said, immersive, like you said, relentless, like the story just like continually evolves and evolves. We follow Schofield and Blake and, you know, something happens and then, oh no, this happens. And then it just keeps going. And I think simple story unwinds perfectly. And for that reason, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm giving it a five out of five. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. Very keen to. Have you given a five? I've given a few fives on the podcast. Um, I reckon 
I've got like maybe 20 to 15, 15 to 20 films that are like fives for me. And this is one of them. Um, let's talk about why that is. Uh, so let's dive in. So I think first thing I want to say is this score of the movie is phenomenal. Thomas Newman, what do you guys think of it? Well, um, I was talking to Sophia in the car. Mm. Um, I think that like if you're going to have a movie where you've got a relatively simple setting, like it's yeah. just um, like a sort of crappy field in France and a, yeah. like wars and it's very plain. Mm. I think that at times the the music perfect perfectly complements the simplicity of the landscape. Yeah. Like um there's like the scene where they're sort of in the trenches and they walk over no man's land and the uh the land goes from sort of you know a bit grassy to just completely barren, muddy, mm. dirty. And the 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 soundtrack immediately changes and you get like a um sense of how Darren, it is from the music and there yeah. are heaps of examples like that throughout the whole film. Absolutely. I agree. I think as well because there are a lot of scenes in like the second half of the film where it is just Schofield and there's not mm. much dialogue. Yeah. I think the soundtrack just like you almost, it, you're not even aware of the music, but you just, it's sort of like carrying what Schofield's going through mm. into you when there's no dialogue. Yeah. Like there's parts where there's like a huge like piece of music and it'll suddenly just stop like mm. something happens yeah um and it just like really supplements the scenes where there's no dialogue yeah absolutely i think as well like it's quite realistic in that sense because yeah we've got these two soldiers and they do have dialogue but they're in this like traumatic place where they're just having to do these insane things they're not going to be talking the whole time so something has to fill it and especially to get the like tone of what they're going through like you both said, I think the score just like complements that so well. And we'll dive into some amazing parts of the score later. Um, one thing I wanted to quickly mention as well was because um, this was on Amazon Prime for me. I don't know if you guys saw that as well. And I have like little trivia facts on the screen. Um, they rehearsed this, Blake and um, Schofield's characters, Dean Charles Chapman and um, George Mackay. They had to rehearse for six months the whole movie like you know early days they were just doing it with like no props and and like a grass field and stuff but they nailed it like it's it's one of those movies where you know there are a few examples where they try and get this continuous shot but to tell it in this way it's amazing to think how well they were able to do that for sure and i think that was something that was such a big part of the movies for me was that the casting of these two relatively unknown actors, they just mm. carried the film, particularly George Mackay, so well. Yeah. Like he's in every single shot of the entire film. And to me, I think he was really, his performance was really underrated. Mm. Like I think the acting in the film was one of the only parts that wasn't nominated for like a big award. Yeah. Really? And yeah. yeah. Like it was nominated for 11 Oscars and none of them were acting. <laughs> and understandably, there's not much dialogue. But I do think that he, like George Mackay in particular, just carried the film. He's in every scene, his ability to like physically act and mm. show so much emotion um, and the experience of a soldier just through his like movements and his physical acting. I just thought it was like so powerful. Yeah. And I just feel like it was a part of the film that was just not given as much credit as it should have been. So it was so mm. important, like how, how impactful it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you sort of, that sort of contrast with like, um, there are a few big dogs in this movie that have like a five minute cameo like you've mm. got Ray Fiennes, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, who's the other Colin one? Firth. Colin Firth. Yeah, the general. And I don't know, I don't know, it was obviously intentional, but it just, the the uh, the sort of lack of presence as celebrities that those two soldiers have definitely adds to the um, their journey and their like 
experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think like they're both meant to be these like private soldiers and the way that, you know, they were relatively unknown, like these two randoms would be sent on a mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that they, yeah, it was probably intentional and the way that they were able to, like you said, physically show what they were going through as soldiers was amazing and little plug here but in the video essay that i did on youtube i think what stopped it from getting awards particularly george mckay was that these two characters didn't necessarily have like a classic character arc and it got a lot of flack because we don't actually people think that they don't have much backstory behind schofield and blake's characters but there's little intricacies in the dialogue that actually tell us who they are um so i think that's probably what detrimented them but amazing performances yeah because i did read that apparently tom holland was originally going to be cast as schofield but i think it was a really good creative choice to not cast a well-known actor as schofield Mm. because the audience were able to sort of like place their own backstory on this sort of unknown actor yeah i also think Mackay has that sort of like non-traditional like hollywood look where like he could be just like an everyday guy that you yourself would know yeah. So I feel like it allowed the audience to like better empathize and like connect with him because you you hadn't seen him in any other work before. Mm. And I think that plays into what you were saying about the lack of characterization. I think it was very intentional because you weren't necessarily attached to Schofield and what he's been through and his history and his yeah. past intentionally because mm. it wasn't about a hero's journey and the individual and his ego and his identity. Yep. It was more just about him being an everyday soldier. And I think it further just emphasized the fact that there would have been thousands of stories like this during the war mm. and that mm. there was thousands of soldiers that went through similar things and it wasn't about the individual yeah like the glory of war it was it was just about like the experience in itself yeah i think as well like the realism of it they wouldn't get time to share all these stories and tell them what life was like back home like there's just no time for that and they're constantly having to put that aside put their humanity aside and do these awful things so i think that that's actually something that's part of the movie that I think was done really well. Um, well I think that's why yeah. the movie is sh- shot as one scene as well because it sort of gives you the sense that these soldiers just never have a time to process what's happened. Mm. And yeah. like you get you get sort of hints throughout the movie of people telling you, oh, don't dwell on the past. Don't dwell on, sorry, the dead. Mm. And like that sort of makes sense because if you're like people are dying all around you, a lot of them are close friends of you, if you're going to dwell on that, um, you're probably going to end up like them. So you, you for your own benefit, mm. can't do that. Yeah. I think the way as well that the film starts, you know, at the tree that Schofield and uh, Blake are sitting at and then ends with Schofield sitting at the tree again. And we'll dive into, you know, parts of it later. But I think the way that that showed that this was just like one day that we followed with him and he's got to do this every day for like years i don't know when world war one finished after 1917 but i'm sure it was about a year and a half later yeah yeah so crazy to think that this is just like one day that we follow these two people yeah amazing storytelling um a few fun facts as well so (laughs) talking about the tree being shot in kind of rural areas of the uk they're and they'd build all these amazing sets but there weren't actually too many bathrooms so a lot of the extras uh, just had to use trees to pee on. So the tree that Schofield sat at at the very end had been pissed on apparently over a hundred times, which was Before interesting. Before you had to sit there and film that scene? I don't know. During. Oh my God, poor guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime. Oh um, again, being continuously shot, 
the shortest unbroken scene was 39 seconds and the longest was eight and a half minutes. And it, wow. like, correct me if I'm wrong, 39 seconds is huge for a yeah. normal movie. Yeah, like yeah. Like nine, eight and a half minutes. Absolutely. You know which scene it was? Um, I think it might have been uh, the Dead Man's Land section where we follow them from like crawling to yeah. like, you know, yeah. through all the trenches and, and stuff. Over. I think that might be it, but could be wrong. Um, yeah, I also read that they dug like, 5,000 kilometers worth of actual trenches mm. and they actually, really? feel, yeah. yeah, they like fully recreated what the trenches would have been like. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy production. Yeah. Um, same thing as well with having to be like continuously shot for continuity. They needed the same lighting conditions and UK doesn't have the greatest weather for that. So if it was sunny, they had to like wait for the next like sunny day. So they would just sit there and wait and they even had a chief meteorologist on set just to be like, okay, this is like, <laughs> this is when we can shoot and stuff. So pretty crazy. Um, but let's dive in. So one thing I wanted to say about the very start of the film is that Blake gets, uh, gets asked, like, you know, he's got to do this mission and the kind of sergeant or whoever says, pick a man and bring your kit. And I think that like we sort of alluded to before, it literally, he could have picked anyone. There were heaps of other people there. I think they were mates. We learned later, but it's crazy to think that like Schofield nearly couldn't have been involved in this whole thing. What do you guys think of that? And I the start? thought it just really emphasized like the futility of war and like the magnitude of every decision. Like, mm. yeah, it could have been anyone. And I think, you know, later, a few scenes later, Schofield in a moment of rage says to Blake, why did you pick me? Because mm. um, he's just like, oh, my God, you could have gone to go get food. But no, we're sent on this, like, life or death mission. Yeah. You would be offered. <laughs> you would definitely be offered. Um, but just a little bit. Yeah, I just think it, there would have been so many things like that in war where, like, these things are just, like, these arbitrary decisions and moments just mm. have such a big impact. Yeah. And, yeah, I would have been pretty stressed. Would have yeah, been and the whole, that. like suffering and death is just so random as well in war especially in world war one where it was sort of a war of attrition and because there was so much artillery fire everywhere and the aim mm. of the game was just to sort of kill the soldiers as much as possible yeah from the other side until mm. they literally cannot fight anymore yeah sort of goes to that theme of randomness and mm. futility yeah and who gets caught up in between um absolutely i think the scene straight after kind of once they've been sent out um when they reach the German line and go into the kind of bunker where, you know, we have them kind of exploring the German like bunks and things and the place explodes because of the tripwire. One thing for me when rewatching it, and I've watched it a million times, but I always am amazed at how they filmed uh, Schofield being like buried under all this rubble. Yeah. Like how did they do it? Cause Blake has to pull him out and, uh, George Mackay would have actually been covered yeah. in the, all this the shit. The stuff looked actually heavy. Yeah. It looked heavy on his body. And he had like shit all over his yeah. face and in yeah. his mouth and stuff. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What do you guys think of that sort of scene? That's a like very stressful scene. I mm. like the, the moment in that scene for me is where he's like blind and he has to jump over that mine shaft. Mm. Every time I watch that, I always think <laughs> if that was real. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, yeah. I don't think I could do that with like yeah. jumping blindly. Blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's yeah. the first moment as well that they have to trust each other, especially Schofield yeah. to Blake. Because yeah. obviously Schofield's like a little bit more of an alpha. He's more experienced. Mm. It's the first moment of like kind of friendship and brotherhood. Mm. But also to jump back, you can do this, but 
another thing I was just thinking was when I think obviously it was intentional by the officers to ask Blake to complete the mission because he had the emotional motivation to do so because of his brother. Yeah. And I think there's a bit of subtext there because at this point in the war, there was a lot of low morale. Mm. And I think a lot of the soldiers couldn't be trusted to carry out such a big high risk mission because they really had like no motivation or desire to do it. Yeah. So I think it was obviously sort of a hint towards like the psychological warfare and like emotional manipulation used at these like really low points in the war to complete such important missions mm. um, that required like actual physical forms of communication. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, he just happened to pick Schofield who was an experienced soldier or yeah. more experienced than him. And it's just, I think from this point on, you do see that sort of like brotherly, almost fatherly figure that Schofield plays mm. to Blake up until later scenes. Yeah, definitely agree. I think like we saw how much, how little morale there was in the trenches before, especially the people right on the front line. Like they don't know what day it is. The lieutenant who's played by Andrew Scott, he's like, you know, can you be so kind as to throw the flares back and just like very it's doomy outlook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to think that there's just like no morale. But I think that that's what makes uh, Blake's character so good because he's still trying to like find the positive things, tell funny stories and, you know, like just before all that stuff happens, like he's like bouncing on the bed and like joking about how like good it is that they had these amazing conditions, the Germans. But yeah, like that <laughs> that moment of having to jump blindly over like a mine shaft or something to think that that was like the least of <laughs> what they go through. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, it's and crazy. even like just before that, you know, Schofield like holds he accidentally grabs onto some yes. wire and it pierces his skin like the sound effect of that mm. it's just it was so visceral like i was just cringing i couldn't even look at it yeah and then like seconds later he slips and he accidentally puts his hand oh. into the rotting corpse of yeah. a soldier and the squelching sound of that i was i just could yeah. not. it was just so heinous and that was like five minutes into the film and it just gets worse yeah. and worse from there um but again like that was like the least of their worries yeah and the way that Mackay acts that scene, he doesn't say anything, but he's just like shocked because his hand's probably like so infected. And I think he doesn't want to scare Blake as well. Yeah. I think that's like a little bit of maybe his fatherly thing coming out. He doesn't want to scare Blake because mm. he knows they have so far to go. Yeah. I think the other thing with that is that, and we'll talk about this more later, but probably worth bringing up now. Because his hand was like in the corpse and like buried in rubble and you know, as the movie progresses, his hand is just like being obliterated despite having a bandage. He probably would have died of infection later. I was thinking that because... The... Got him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which or is crazy. Like... He might have survived all these dangerous moments, but at the end of the day, that fragile nature of the war and that time, just anything can get you. It's sort of easy to forget how long ago 1917 yeah. was. Like, mm. I think cards had only been around for 20 years. That you, there's a scene with planes in the movie as well. Planes only came into the war with guns the year before. Really? Before they were only used for like aerial spotting. Wow. For some reason they couldn't shoot. Mm. Um, so it's just like to the what you were saying about how medical um, conditions and technology was so like primitive back then. Just yeah. Like it's everything was primitive back then and it's like it takes you a while to realise that in the movie for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think as well, like World War One, there aren't many huge World War One films like this. Mm. And as they say, World War One was like really the start of modern warfare because the war started with just rifles and it ended with tanks. Like tanks were invented yeah. during World War One. Yeah. And at this point in the war, I think it was like a key point in progression, particularly for the Germans, where they were 
conducting like mass attacks mm. and they'd begun like civilian attacks and it was just like a peak point in the war where it started to kind of go downhill. Um, and I think that's indicative in terms of like the mass loss of life that you do see throughout the film and like the yeah. fear that the soldiers have as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the point of that and how planes were introduced, we do get that amazing plane scene and I think – you know, they share a few nice moments. They talk about the funny honey hair gel or whatever and the guy's like rat. Yeah, they were having Sorry. a laugh. <laughs> yeah, the guy's ear got bitten by a rat or something. And then they talk about, you know, how the ribbon that uh, Schofield won is a, like just a bit of tin and we kind of hear more about his family and backstory. But to then have them see these planes, which we think it's like a two-on-one and the German goes down and again amazing piece of like set work and then having to run away from a real plane but for the german pilot who they save to stab blake is just the most heartbreaking Schofield knew what was up as well yeah he said like yeah. put him out of his misery but blake's sort of the more like sto- like i feel like Schofield was more like the stoic yeah, you know, this is war kind of soldier whereas blake's like the romantic he's like yeah. kind he's empathetic he's yeah like, we have to save him and mm. i think Schofield was almost convinced by Blake to do the right thing. Yeah. yeah. And it didn't go well. Yeah. It did not go well at all. Yeah. Did you think when you first watched it, did you think that that was going to happen? Especially I like I was so time. shocked by that scene. Yeah. Because I'd, I was really keen for this movie. So I'd watch the trailers and all of that and they marketed it. They marketed it as a movie about two young soldiers mm. on this like journey to stop this big attack. Yeah. And so when one of the main characters is killed 15 minutes in or whatever, you're like, oh my God, it, it's a shock for the viewer. Mm. Um, but I think that's the point. You're meant to feel like how Schofield feels. Yeah. And I think, I think it was well done because as I was saying before, I think that the movie really picks up from this point on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, I think if they were both in that, because I think Blake is not, I don't think he's the most likable character. He's definitely not the most adventurous. He's not like the stereotypical person who you yep. expect to be in a war film. Mm. Well, I think he was kind of meant to represent those really young, you know, 17, 18 year old soldiers who were inexperienced and very, you know, heightened emotions. They were fearful. Mm. They had no idea what was going on. And yeah. obviously he was super, you know, he had this huge sense of urgency about his brother that was mm. potentially making him act a little bit irrational. Yeah, um, true. And it's interesting how after he dies, Schofield almost takes on that sense of urgency mm. and drive that he didn't really have before. Because yeah. Schofield was a little bit sort of anti-war. He was kind of a bit over it. He didn't see the purpose in continuing on. Yeah, yeah, it gives for sure. Purpose. But don't, don't you think as well that the movie wouldn't have been as good if Blake remained there to the end? His, yeah. his death is definitely like a, a turning point in the movie where it becomes all about the journey and not much about the the brothership and the characters. And yeah. It sort of becomes even more relentless and stressful. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, while it's so like shocking and the way that it's acted is, in my opinion, one of the best death scenes yep. ever yep. because we see the whole thing, yep. um, you know, from like just a scream in the background to like seeing the wound, the camera is like circling around them yep. to show like the chaos of it all. Um, and but, he also starts to go blue. blue. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. He gets like purple by the end. Yeah. And, and like the, gradually as well. Yeah. So gradual. And the way that uh, Dean Charles Chapman does it as well. You know, Schofield's trying to like be encouraging and pick him up and stuff and he's he can't bear the pain. It's yeah, just I amazing. Yeah, Schofield really gave him like a dignified death. Mm. He kept saying, you know, okay, we're going to stand up now. We're going to do this. And yep. then obviously when Blake realizes he's dying, 
And he just says to Schofield, like, tell me you know where you're going. And Schofield repeats back to him the directions of how to get mm. to the town. Yep. Mm. So that was really beautiful because he was he was honest. I think Blake says, am I dying? And Schofield says, yes. Yeah. Like he's, he's honest Very with blunt. him. Yeah. But he also reassures him that he will get there and he'll deliver yeah. the message. It gave him, like, the comfort to sort of... To die. die. Yeah. I think as well, like, the way that it pans out, Blake even forgets, like, he's been stabbed. He's like, oh, like, I've been shot or something. Yeah. Um, so these other things that made it just again, so real and, uh, really again, that sort of physical acting by them both, especially Schofield, because the mission that he has to do and he's now got this death to like kind of motivate him more and more, um, is amazing. And then having to like carry this friend who died and have to go straight away type thing when, the new soldiers come in, I think, again, shows just that relentless nature. Like he had to leave yeah. Blake's body behind. Or just goes on. Yeah. No I think he also the reality of the weight of this like mission on his head, mm. um, such high stakes. He's now like, okay, it's just on me. I'm the only one that can stop this from happening. Yeah. And yeah, I think the, mo- the movie really picked up from here. Mm. Yeah. I think the way that, we then follow Schofield in the truck with all these other soldiers who are on a different mission, um, you know, different kind of frame of mind. And the cameo from Mark Strong, who plays Captain Smith. He's so good. Yeah, I think the way that we just kind of see Schofield in the back of the truck processing it all and he's got these guys like chatting shit. Yeah, like joking around. And we just see his face and the music that's playing is just like beautiful and it really shows him just like kind of suffering internally. But to then kind of get the scene which you talked about where the truck drives into the mud and they have to push it out. Um, What did you guys think about how uh, McKay plays that scene? Because they try and push it out. It doesn't quite work. And these guys are just like being really lazy and not really helping. What do you guys think? They're like not sort of understanding the gravity of the situation. Mm. And then you sort of put yourself in Schofield's shoes and Mm. like, look how well he plays that scene. You f- feel a sort of sense of panic yeah. and frustration that the mm. truck wasn't moving and no one was helping you. Yeah. Um, so, like, you definitely feel that sense of panic and mm. frustration as the viewer. Um, I think also, it was a f- like, sto- like, sorry, Schofield's been pretty stoic up until this point. He's been yeah. pretty, like, gathered and calm. I think this was the first time he sort of, you can feel that sense of urgency and the sort mm. of clock ticking. Yeah, and just the stress building up in them. It's the first time he kind of really does show emotion mm. and rage. I think he feels almost resentment that these other soldiers don't have this weight on their shoulders like what he does. Yeah, and I think again for him, they're like asking him questions about it too. Like, oh, what's this mission? Like, they just sent one of you, and he's like, no, like there were two of us, and he's having to like talk about it straight away. I think again shows how just relentless it all was, and I think that the interesting part was we've seen all these senior soldiers with those bigger cameos before kind of being very strategic and just like wanting sort of bloodshed mostly but this captain strong he's kind of like you know make sure there are witnesses when you give your orders some people just want like the war to go on i thought he was a really interesting character what do you guys think of yeah i thought he seems like he almost could see in Schofield that maybe he was going to complete this huge mission. Yeah. And I think him saying, make sure there's witnesses. I almost thought that was him saying like, wow, if you make it and you do stop this attack, this is huge. Mm. And 
there better be witnesses. Was that what he was kind of saying? Like I think he more meant like make sure people see you've given this order. Because otherwise he might not. They might not take it. it. They might just right, rip it I up type thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, re- it really is one of the lines of the movie. Because if you think about it, there are actually quite a few lines in the movie mm. from that point onwards. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a line that sticks with you because mm. you think, oh, my God, he might get to the end and then the colonel is just going to go ahead. And, like, not bit, take the order. Yeah. I also thought it was good because, obviously, up until this point, there had been a few sort of cameos from these bigger actors. I think it was good that they kind of ended from this point on up until the end of the film. Mm. Because I feel like those were the only parts of the film that maybe sort of drew you out of that total immersion because you do recognise these actors yeah. from previous work. Mm-hmm. But I do think it was tastefully done integrating these big-name actors in small scenes. Yeah. But I feel like if they'd done it, any more than this, it would have taken you out of that like really intense immersion into Schofield's story. Yeah. But I thought Mark Strong was really good. For sure. Um, we then move to Acoust where we get some amazing scenes. What did you guys think of firstly kind of Schofield being shot by the sniper um, but also the waking up and kind of having to evade them and that whole setting in general. What do you guys think of Acoust? I thought that the scene where he gets knocked unconscious is obviously really the only scene in the film where time is sort of suspended and maybe it fast forwards a little bit because it kind of fades to black. And then when it comes back, it's sort of coming into like daylight hours a little bit. But I do, I think it was still believable because, because we're viewing the film from Schofield's perspective when it fades to black, like he was unconscious. So that's Mm. what we would have been seeing anyway. So I don't think it like really took away from that one shot element still. And then I think when we, go into Akus and like the burning town. I thought it was such moving. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hold up. 
imagery. It was almost mm-hmm. a bit surreal and dreamlike. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a shot where he sort of walks into the burning village and there's like this fountain to his left and it almost looks like a cross in yeah. a way. I yeah. thought it was a cross at first. And I think maybe it sort of hints to this like hell-like imagery. Mm. Um, and it sort of linked back earlier in the film when Colin First's character gives him the orders to go on the mission. He quotes a poem. Yes. And he says, like, from here to there, you're better traveling alone. Like, something mm. like that. And he, in the poem is, like, a name of a town. And apparently in, like, in the Bible, it's a reference to hell. And I just thought this scene had, like, hell-like imagery in it. Mm. And it was almost like he'd reached this, like, hell-like state in the war. Yeah, once he gets out of the – because, like, firstly, when he gets – when he has that run-in with the German, um, the German guard in the tower, he goes up and then you sort of get this – him slowly opening the door and there's like a, a German soldier on the floor with a gun, like just about to die, but just before he does it, he's going to like get his revenge and shoot him. And yeah. it's such like, I don't know why, maybe it's like, reminds me of Get Smart or like movies from the sort of 60s where there's like a, a Nazi soldier, a World War One German soldier that's mm. like been shot, but then just before he dies, he like, and has like a go, but the character doesn't die. Yeah. And I think that like definitely reminded me of that. So it was like a little bit, nostalgic yeah <laughs> yeah um but then yeah he sort of like passes out and then he's going into this fire and brimstone environment where they're like i don't know they must have actually had them in world war one I. I had no idea before i watched the movie but they have flares that completely light up the sky when they're fired mm. and you just sort of see like every 10 seconds the he's being like completely illuminated and he's like at the same time there are german guards mm. all over the place and it's sort of like a hunt yeah and then it really becomes like quite a uh cat and mouse cat and mouse like are they gonna get him situation yeah there? yeah i think it's so amazing i think roger deacon's cinematography really this was probably the sequence that i think won him the oscar like the kind of silhouette of Schofield with the burning tower like in front of him and we get the kind of, we see a shadow and then he slowly comes closer and then they both realise they're on the wrong sides of the war. Um, But then to kick into a chase and like you said, Vlach, the flares going across and they actually had lights like running through the set to make sure it was all perfectly like accurate lighting and everything was just amazing. And one thing that I saw in the behind the scenes was with the chase scene, they would have a person like with a handheld camera and then they had to step onto the back of a Jeep and then the Jeep would drive and then the camera would get lifted onto like a crane or something. And I think this was one of the longest sequences, but it was amazing to like see all of that and really understand how much went into just like a small sequence like this. Like how many days do you think it would have taken them to shoot a scene like this? I don't know, but I think this is one of the better ones. And I think as well the burning tower was like 20 metres high of just these big lights. Um, So, yeah, just an amazing sequence. And then to get this really like emotional scene with the French woman, what did you guys think of that straight after? I thought it was a very like humanising moment in the film. I think for Schofield it's the first time that he actually encounters the civilians that he's fighting for. Mm. Up until this point he's been in the trenches just with soldiers. Like he hasn't been faced with the actual people that are behind all this violence. Yeah. I think also for the woman, she says to him, where are the others? And he's like, it's just me. So for the civilians as well, they have no idea what's going on in the war. Mm. And I think it's an interesting moment in the film because she sort of holds up the baby um, near like an oil lamp. And it's almost like this symbol of hope and like rebirth. And for a moment, 
the traditional family unit is almost like reconstructed, but in this unconventional way, mm. which I think is like a continued theme throughout the film. It's like reconstruction and rebirth and hope, but just like not in the way that it was before. Yeah. Um, and obviously this is the first scene where we sort of see Schofield's, you know, true like empathy and emotions come out because he has this like really tender moment with the baby where he sings mm. it a lullaby, yeah. which I thought was beautiful. Yeah. I think it kind of, because, you know, again, he's been through this traumatic, like he's been shot in the head pretty much. He's had to run away from these German soldiers to get this moment which really reminds him of why he's doing all this. Like he's got this family back home. Um, I think at the end it's alluded that he has his own children and we see him kind of like lose himself in it and really like come back to that sort of fatherly figure that he probably was before the war. I think really just, again, brings him back to why he's doing all this. And the other thing, when I first watched this, I was like, holy shit, imagine being born in this time and this, like, it's not even her child. No. Um, she's just having to care for it and find food and, like, just so happens that he has milk and, like, all these things like that. Again, comes back to just how fragile everything was and, you know, I don't know the fate of that baby but would have been seriously tough times. Yeah, and even after everything he's been through up until that point, he still has like the selflessness to give all of his food to the mum and the baby because yeah. he's sort of like the the hero who's like giving everything to protect the sort of mother and child, which mm. is like sort of the war hero, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can cut this, but one of my only <laughs> critiques of the film was kind of around the scene. Okay. Because obviously this is like the main scene in the film that does feature a woman. And I do think it was like a slight missed opportunity to better represent the role that women played during the war. Mm. Because I feel like women were portrayed in the very stereotypical role of a maternal figure where, you know, Schofield between getting shot at and avoiding like bombs and stuff somehow also manages to, fi- to find Times the time to, you know, <laughs> rescue this sad, helpless woman with a baby. Mm. And... I just think that, yes, it was a, you know, touching, moving scene and obviously women weren't in the trenches throwing grenades. Like we know that's historically not what happened. Yeah. But I do think that given it is such a big budget, like genre-defining war film, Mm. I think that there could have been other ways that women could have been, um, you know, even briefly integrated into the film in ways that kind of better represented the role that they did play in the war effort, whether it had been like more scenes of like female nurses in like the back parts of the trenches or... Mm. Maybe even I read somewhere someone suggested that instead of it being Blake's brother that was part of this division, it could have been like that he had a sister that was a nurse that was like mm. in this division, just to add some sort of like other element regarding women. Yeah, um, interesting. But yeah, that was just one of my like small critiques, just because I thought it was just a little bit stereotypical the way they did portray yeah. the sort of weak, or not weak, but the sort <laughs> of yeah damsel in distress where the guy comes in and saves the day a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I've never sort of thought about that. I don't actually know typical. that. <laughs> I don't actually know the like conditions that and the role that women played, particularly for the like British effort. But yeah, I think that would have been interesting. Um, and again, would have probably given the same motivations that we do get from this scene. Yeah. So interesting point there. Um, we then get a pretty confronting scene where he finds the like two drunk German soldiers. I picked a very bad night to drink. They did. And he has to like choke and kill this guy after having this really nice moment. Again, just kind of that huge juxtaposition of each fleeting moment. Like they just don't get a minute to like savor any of it. What did you guys think of that? And then having to 
jump into the river. It's not like soldiers at the time as well mm. um, want to kill people, especially with their bare hands. It like obviously would take a toll on any person. Yeah. Most people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you sort of get the the sense of how much they have to do in every single moment. Um, yep. And they're like inevitable toll once he gets back to that tree and like sits down what the fuck's going to be going through his head afterwards. Yeah. It's like there's going to be a lot of stuff to debrief and process. Mm. I think um, he also, he gave the the young German guy a chance yeah, to, to, not, to yeah. save him. And I also thought this scene mirrored, but in reverse, the earlier scene where Blake dies. Because in the previous scene, it was, you know, two allied soldiers versus single German. Mm. And the German had to save himself, so he killed Blake. Whereas this time, it's Schofield versus two Germans. Yeah. And he kind of has to kill this German guy to save himself. Mm. And it was just so hard wrenching because you know he didn't want to kill him yeah he was a young he looked so young that guy yeah and you just but of course he was gonna yell out like of course mm. um but i just thought it was like another reminder of just like the nature of war and the things that Schofield had to do yeah i think this is actually one of the few times we actually really vividly see a german soldier's face like the pilot kind of was mostly it's covered true, yeah. but this time again they show like how young he is he looks very normal and he probably doesn't want to kill him either but you know it's just the situation they were in. He's so fearful. Yeah. Like, of course you would do that. It's just terrifying. Mm. Um, I think that we get a similar scene. So he jumps into the river. Again, amazing camera work. Don't know how they did it. Um, and George Mackay having to swim and pretend to be drowning and just so exhausted at this point. But <laughs> Schofield like clings to the log and he's just like floating in the river and he's just so exhausted. Like you think he's kind of going to drown. Or like give up. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Um, especially with everything he's been through. But I think, again, another scene that sort of reminds him of why he's doing it, we get the blossoms kind of raining onto the river. What did you guys think of that? Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. I think maybe a little cheesy, but I think it was nice because it played back into that earlier scene when Blake was telling Schofield about the cherry blossoms and how his mum grew cherry blossom trees and he Mm. ate the cherries. It was almost a little bit like Blake was still with him in a way. Yeah. But I also thought it was a little bit of like religious imagery, like a bit like a bit of like a baptism in the water. Mm. Because he suddenly finds this motivation to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Well it's like again, like the thing that is most memorable, I think, from this scene for me is like how well the landscape works with the the scene. Mm. And that's like sort of a theme throughout the whole movie. Like really the like there are certain scenes in the movie where they're literally just walking through a sort of reasonably simple landscape from a to b and like mm. i've just watched this for three minutes and somehow i'm not bored yeah and that's like because the the landscape and cinematography is so sort of uh scenic and beautiful that like yeah. it just really immerses you into the movie 100 mm, i think to then also again huge juxtaposition between like nice moments and not nice moments <laughs> Um, was the fact that he then has to crawl over these dead bodies floating in the river. And, you know, he's kind of like not crying at this point, but he then gets onto the land and just like breaks down, crying, pouring it all out. I think this is the only time we actually get it, him being caught up with it all and finally having a bit of a release. Um, And I think the way that, Mackay was able to portray that was just amazing and probably one of the better scenes, which again, very underrated. Yeah. And like from this point on, you almost get the sense that he's out of the woods mm. because he's like escaped the German area. Um, he's like climbed over these 20 logs. 
out of dead bodies and <laughs> yeah. then completely sort of panics. Yeah. yeah. And then like once he sort of, you know, the situation calms itself a bit, he then like breaks down. So mm. like you can imagine how once you sort of things calm down a bit, how then it would all hit you like a ton of bricks. And yeah. He plays that really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the following scene where he finds the Devons, but we get this beautiful song. I don't actually know what the song's about, but... I think it was just a moment where he could just, he was very just like out of it and in this like dreamlike state. There's all these soldiers sitting around him. I think it was a nice little reprieve before mm. the next bit of chaos that we get. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, I thought so too. I think it was a touching moment. I think the song, it was a sort of like a war song they would sing about like a lone soldier. Oh, okay. Um, and I thought it was interesting how you know, he sits with his head against a tree. And I think tree is a bit of like an extended like motif throughout the film because whenever there's like green trees, it's always a moment of like reprieve or peace or calm. Mm. Or But when there's like burned dead trees, it's always a moment of like turmoil or death yeah. or violence. Definitely. And I think this is sort of a moment where he's again in a bit of like a dreamlike state. Um, but I think it sort of hits home again, like how many men are just sitting there mm. waiting to maybe potentially go into this battle. And it's the last moment of calm before, obviously, the climax scene. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, the way that the dialogue plays out in this scene as well, kind of all the soldiers start getting up and Schofield's just still there exhausted and he's kind of like, you know, I need to find the Devons and then they say, where are the Devons? And you're like, oh, shit. Like he needs, to, he needs to fucking go. And that score again just slowly starts building and... This song, it's called 1600 Men. I listen to it so frequently. <laughs> it's like eight minutes long. Um, and I think that, you know, the whole sequence yeah. is, in my opinion, one of the best scenes in film history. Having to walk through all these bodies, like getting past them, kind of he gets to the first sort of captain who's like barking orders and he's like, no, like get out of the way. We got them on the run. Like um, to think that he's still got to get through all these people to save these people is just crazy. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat literally the whole time. Like my hands were so sweaty in the movies. Yeah. I was like, I cannot watch this scene. But I think also when he kind of comes down that hill, when he first comes out of the woods and he sees this huge trench line with all these men filing into it and you can hear the generals, you know, preparing the men saying, you know, when you hear the whistle go over, mm. and, like the tension's just building up and Schofield starts to run through the trenches and push soldiers aside. And it's kind of like that scene at the start of the film when Blake's doing that. Mm. He's pushing the soldiers aside and Schofield's like, chill, yeah. like, it's all right, let's just talk about it. But now Schofield is like running through because I think he sees like the reality of like the stakes of the mission and he has like that huge sense of urgency. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think my this is my favourite scene of the film, the moment where like the whistles go off, it's time for the first wave to go over. He realises that no matter what he's going to do, some people are going to get killed by these Germans who are ambushing them. And then he like runs out of the trenches despite everyone telling him no don't you're gonna kill yourself he runs out of the trenches whilst everyone's like running running past and he actually falls mm. and like apparently when they were filming it because like it was too uh because the scenes are so long they could only afford to do them time wise and money wise like so so many amount of times that like you see him fall over that actually wasn't supposed to happen mm. but like um it was just like too many people yeah. running at the same time and then he like sprints yeah but he's not actually sprinting to like run as an actor he's sprinting to catch up with the, <laughs> the camera, the camera. Yeah. so that's like i remember looking into this movie and found yeah that, like, quite an interesting fact 
yeah, I just love crazy. when like, I mean, it's terrifying. Like my stomach just drops and you hear that whistle and the men start running over and Schofield just sort of, he's kind of starts walking. He's just walking mm. first, like so briskly. And then he just starts sprinting. Yeah. And he's just got this like dead, just like very focused look in his eyes. And he just looks straight forward mm. and he just runs. And I thought it was great. Just like the way it was shot was amazing because you've got the contrast of like the men running right to left, but then Schofield running like parallel along the trenches. And it just seems so odd because you're like, why is this one man running the wrong way? But it was yeah. just like, to me, I mean, this is like when I was crying watching it just because like <laughs> literally these men are flooding over the trenches into like certain death. Yeah. And it's just like this waste of life essentially um, and you know, Schofield is just thinking that like he's the only person that can possibly stop this. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, I too also always cry, mm. always have goosebumps. And again, the way that Thomas Newman's score kind of leads up to this moment. And I think one part that was really important was the fact that even though he does get to the trench, he like tries to find the captain and the captain's just there crying. Oh, yeah. He can't even yeah. lead his men and it it was something different and real and just kind of really showed that yes there is this like hierarchy of people but at the end of the day they're all just men and humans and like even having to go over the line like would just be a crazy experience but the way that um you then have a really composed sergeant who's being really chill he's like all right everyone ready and then he sees Schofield he's like oh you'll never make it like just wait for the next wave and the way that he says like we get that look where Schofield kind of knows that he has to go over yeah and he looks back and he's like what the hell are you doing like no 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 and then to get that is just like the most insane scene and I think I think obviously having had that kind of very real like uh, Mackay falling over and having to catch up. And I think he had to run like, you know, a mile or something crazy. But the, even the idea of it being like a wave of men is just mm, so crazy. Like, yeah. They know these men are going to die. And of course, for these young men, they're just following decisions. They can't yeah. say no. They can't just not go over. Yeah. And I was reading like the average age of these soldiers was between, like, the majority of them were between 18 and 23. That's which is crazy. just crazy. For me, when I'm watching it, I'm just like imagining like all like my brother, or, like my friends, my cousins. And it's mm. just, so emotional because you're just like war is just so futile and it's so arbitrary and it's just so random yeah and this one guy has the ability to stop this it's just so moving and you're just like on your edge of the, like the edge of your seat the whole time and yeah. finally gets to and also that he has like the the bravery to run across when like all these sort of when when you're sort of seeing them just before they go you think imagine imagine what you would be feeling just before that whistle blew off you would just come you'd be terrified it would mm. be the least thing you wanted to do yeah. you'd probably get like if not shot there's shelling there's like but if someone if you yeah. turned around and uh like ran back you'd probably oh. get like i don't know what happened it's yeah not good no. um, <laughs> and you're just seeing like in contrast blake just bravely running yeah. across like completely risking his life when he doesn't even really have to mm. yeah. it's like quite that's definitely a yeah yeah part. to think as well that they're kind of hiding in the trench and i think that's kind of why schofield when he first gets up he's just walking because he would just be numb at that point like sure. you're on the line you don't know what's out there again probably gonna die but 
Um, what I found really interesting was that Mackay himself, like he said that when he first watched the movie, once it was fully edited, uh, he also cried during that scene because obviously he knew what he had to do in the filming of that scene. But, um, you know, it just kind of shows how, again, amazing storytelling can make you so invested and be so tense and to have this amazing sprint scene with like the best score ever. Um, it's just so good. And I think what's even better is the fact that even though he's done that brave run, gets to the other side, still has to kind of get through people and he finally gets to Colonel McKenzie and even there, there's still people stopping him after he's done all this stuff. What do you guys think of kind of that post run? sequence i just think it like emphasizes how crazy like how war has changed so much because like communication channels were just so different like no one believed that this random soldier had the orders to call off this attack that was just a trap basically Mm. and he he has like balls when he goes into that room as well like he busts through these people telling him no you cannot come in and like shoving him away and then he like as soon as he gets to the colonel and the colonel's like not really listening to him. He goes, these are direct orders. You have to follow them. Mm. And it's like quite a striking uh, demonstration of um, an ability to stand up to someone who's in a huge, in a, in a Senior. Like superior position yeah. to you and then like um, tell them that they have to do this because he wants to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. I think um, – Benedict Cumberbatch's character who plays the general says, like he reads the paper and he's like in disbelief. He can't believe that this is what's being, what he's being told. Mm. And I think he says to Schofield like something about how the original orders that morning had been to fight until the last man standing. Mm. So it's just crazy to think that literally all those men probably would have died if Schofield hadn't have made it. Yeah. And as well, what Captain Smith by Mark Strong had kind of said, like some people just want war. And mm. I'm sure in... Colonel McKenzie's position like you're getting different orders every half day and you know at some point you'd kind of get a bit frustrated with it but I think the way that communication plays such a role and to have like these direct orders kind of after all this still not really being listened to and he's kind of angry at Schofield like pissed off he tells him to like fuck off and all Schofield gets from that room is the kind of nicer yeah. less senior guy who's like well done yeah. and that's like the only yeah. kind of recognition he got for saving all these people because i guess they have no idea what he's been through they don't know the journey he's been on to get no. there and you, there's so many there'd be so many stories like that every soldier in the war would have had stories of like things they'd seen or things they had to do mm. and again speaks to like the importance in a way of the lack of characterization because it just emphasizes the fact that it's like not about the individual and like the glory yeah it's just like about how these small events like added up to create these like horrific wars in general and how all these like individual lives were affected. Yeah. And that sort of vibe is like complemented by Mackenzie's like lines, quite a memorable line. He goes, there's only one way this, this ends. And he sort of implies with the, with the death of basically everyone. And that's like a line that sort of really well sums up World War One and the position of 1917 where it was just stalemate, war of attrition, kill as many people, everyone around you dying. And that's sort of how, like, we're left with the sense of World War One. Mm. Yeah, the other thing that's really moving that he says as well, he, he says something um, about hope and he says, like, hope is a dangerous thing. And to think that all these people at the end of the day just have to abandon all that and just 
kill each other and just run waves of young men like you talked about is just crazy. And I think this scene just really captured all that. Um, following scene, we finally, I think first time I saw this, I was like, oh, wait, he's still got to find the brother. The brother. Yeah. Like what's going to happen here? Um, what do you guys think of the buildup of walking through all the kind of medical tents and to then finally find Blake's brother? I think that like ju- just before you realize that he's gotten all this way, Blake's died and then he finds out Blake's brother was in the first wave that was the one he couldn't stop going over and you're like oh my god don't tell me like he gets all this way and Mm. the brother's just dead yeah and I think that like it's it's quite a um to see like the the men when he goes to the war hospital and like finds all the wounded men it's like quite a um it's quite like a confronting scene and you see how like primitive the um all the medical aid is like Mm. just like holding people's wounds there's no like there's people with their legs off and then they say to someone, oh, take this person to the surgeon. It's like, do you mean these people don't have surgeons? Mm. Yeah. So like yeah. that like gives you a sense of how grim it is if you're injured. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that definitely. And I think they, he asks someone, have you seen Blake? And some the guy says, you know, oh, knowing him, he would have gone over with the first lot. Like he'll be out there, mm. which I think speaks to the idea of his character. Obviously he was, you know, a dedicated soldier and kind of reminds you of, the empathy you feel for him and the fact that like his brothers died and this is what push is pushing Schofield to find him. Mm. And obviously, you know, he eventually does find him. Yeah. I think the way that he does get found as well, like he's walked through all the medical tent and he hears someone kind of leading some people around. And I think again, that sort of speaks to who you would think is Blake's brother, like this like noble heroic guy. Um, but the way that it pans out and the acting from Richard Madden is amazing. He sees that Will is asking about Blake and he's like, um, are you Will's brother? And he's like, yeah, oh, where is he? And then he's like all happy and keen mm. to see him. But the way that he then just realizes that he's not alive without Schofield really even saying anything. Yep. But then he obviously confirms like it was quick and all these things. Yep. I think it's just acted so well. And the casting's great because he actually really looks like he could be Blake's brother. Yeah. Which is crazy. And I think it's also the first time that Schofield tells someone his first name. Mm. And I think it just like shows a lot of growth for him in that moment because as he's telling Blake's brother about the, how he died and whatnot, he, you know, he gives him his personal possessions. And it's interesting because earlier in the film he sort of kind of spoke down on like material possessions and I think yeah. he said, you know, what's the point of giving like a piece of tin to someone's widow? Mm. Um, but obviously now – throughout his whole experience, he realizes that it kind of carries a lot more meaning around like the values that both Blake and him himself carried to get to this point. Yeah. And obviously it's meaningful to Blake's brother because he, you know, he takes the items and yeah, he doesn't say much, but I think what he says to Schofield is like, you know, go get yourself some food or something. Yeah. Which I think was really touching because obviously in like probably, probably the lowest moment of his life, he's still looking out for his fellow soldier, which I think is yeah. really moving. Yeah. I think the other thing as well is, you know, to to finally hear Schofield's first name again really shows that they have to put aside like who they are and they don't really get the opportunity to express themselves. But I think the way that he starts to walk away after he says, go get some food, but we see Schofield's growth as a character because he turns around and understands what Blake is going through and feels the need to like say a bit more. And he says like how he was a good man and, and like a good friend and... um to write to his mother yeah 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 so i think that was a really touching moment and the way that 
Blake then kind of thanks him and and kind of if if you had just found out from this person that your brother had died, oh like you'd be so I don't even know, but to then kind of see him like switch and give Schofield a bit of like gratitude and like recognition yeah. for obviously kind of realizing what he's been through with his brother. Yeah, he definitely um, like nails, Madden definitely nails the stoic grief yeah. scene yeah. that you would expect from like uh, high ranking or reasonably high ranking yeah. soldiers at that time. Yeah. And I think I th- it was interesting as well. Like when they shook hands, the camera sort of panned up a bit. Maybe this was me reading into it too much, but there was a tree in right, the tree that Schofield eventually sits on is right between the two of them as mm. they shake hands. And I almost thought it was like maybe a bit of like a subtle representation of like the younger Blake being there with them in a way. Cause it was like mm. this green tree that was like growing in the background. And then Schofield obviously eventually goes and leans against it. Yeah. So that was like a nice moment of like hope in a way. Yeah. I think the line as well that Blake says, he says like, I'm glad you're with him. Like, thank you. Yeah. Just again, not tears, but so heartwarming because yeah. he finally does get, he doesn't need a medal, but he does get something for everything he's been through in the past day. Um, I think, yeah, again, we talked about how it ends on the tree that kind of was the way that it started, but for him to finally get this reprieve and just to sit down away from everyone else, um, I think first time watching it also sort of gave me gladiator vibes when he's, like yeah. died and he's like yeah. walking through a field. I, it was kind of just like, cause again, he's got that injured hand probably yeah. going to die. Um, I think that the way that he could just like remove himself and just sit down and like look at his family photos was a nice way to end it. Yeah. I think it was very humanizing. I think it showed his growth and I think it showed how he now, I think initially in the film he's a bit like pessimistic about war. He sort of was just like, you know, well, life is just meaningless. This is all meaningless. But I think mm. now he has like a newfound sort of appreciation for for life and family and connection. And in this moment of solitude, I think it also reminds you that like war goes on. He's yep. still lonely. No one's ever going to know what he went through. Mm. And I think there's always been a subtext in the film of Schofield's fear of going back home because I think he knows the trauma that he's endured and it's a fear that he carries that he's not going to ever be able to live a normal life again. Yeah. So I feel like when he does, you know, eventually sit down and look at these photos of his family, I thought it was like a great ending because you're not sure, you know, what is he going to be like when he goes home, if he if he does ever get home. Yeah. Um. You know, is the trauma he went through going to carry through into his normal life if and you know if he does get back? Yeah. And I think what you said earlier, Vlach, around how he just like closes his eyes and leans back, but to think what is going through his head. He sees the the back of the photo, which says like "Come back to us," mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, like what would he be like? But again, because of the futility and continuous and relentless nature of war, he's got to go and do the same thing tomorrow, which is insane. Or probably straight after this like short nap that he gets. So yeah. crazy. Um, also, the music in that scene again, just like bit of a change, very just like kind of mellow and really showing it's the like tone the, of the film. The break you've been looking. Yeah, so yeah. good. I think also the countryside in the background is kind of reminiscent of like the English countryside. Mm. Like it almost makes you think like, you know, you can picture him being back home. Yeah. But again, not to harp on about George Mackay, I just think he's such a good actor. And, mm. you know, the fa- I think the fact that there's limited dialogue is super irrelevant because I think that the, yeah, his acting abilities and the emotion he shows in his face just like carries the film. And the fact that so many people have felt moved by it, impacted by it, I just think is like, 
a testament to his acting. Yeah. And I still think he should have been nominated. 100%. So good. Yeah. He's so good. I, yeah. Like Leo won absolutely for Revenant. He had like two words in that. So yeah, that is, that's true. I, I think like it is a seriously underrated performance. I don't know if he got nominated for any awards. Like obviously not these main ones, yeah. but you know, those sort of medium tier categories. Um, but yeah, to think that they won Oscar for cinematography, sound mixing, visual effects, then also Golden Globe for best drama and uh, Sam Mendes for best director. Uh, but yeah, none of the acting was really recognized. So I think very underrated and then, yeah, it's like we sort of have all alluded to. It's one of the better war films. Um, and yeah, they were amazing. Uh, any other final takes on the film? <laughs> okay, maybe a quick question here. Oh, I do. We were talking about one take, just about how okay. it's like... Oh, sorry. There you go. Um, I think something that we were talking about earlier is that the film just obviously... It was made in like 2019, I think. But mm. the meaning of it, I think, just carries so much more weight today. Obviously, over 100 years later, we're still seeing these kinds of like wars happening, but on such a greater scale. Yep. We're literally still seeing young men being conscripted off the street mm. and thrown into the front lines with zero experience into mm. just basically guaranteed death. Yeah, And I just think it's kind of just so you know, point at the message and it reminds you that just like history does repeat itself. And it's so scary to think that even when Sam Mendes made this film, he would have had no idea that like, for example, like this war in Ukraine would happen or any other of the other conflicts going on. Mm. And I just think like the meaning of the film carries so much more weight today yep. than it did even three years ago. Yeah. So I feel like for people who aren't even interested necessarily in war films, I think it still is just like so impactful in so many ways. Yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> Hard act to follow there. But quick question. We've already sort of talked about um already talked about all the different cameos that were in the film, obviously by really notable English and British actors. Who do you think was your favorite? If you had to pick one. My favorite was probably Mark Strong. I just think yeah. he's so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> he but he also is just like such a scene scene stealer. Yeah. I love Colin Firth, but every time I see him, I just like Imagine him and Mamma Mia playing a gay <laughs> stepdad. So I just like can't. When I yeah. see him in a war film, I'm like, I can't. Yeah. Picture it, but yeah. yeah probably nice. Mark Strong. I probably would go Mark Strong as well. I think. But with that sort of final scene, Rich and Madden, yeah, he's great. Takes a cake for me. I think. To, like, I I don't I don't un, like know how long each of them really had to spend filming it in terms of like days that they were on set, but to have this like really short amount of time in the movie and just for each of them to, to nail it especially Madden for me was just amazing did they all I get read... paid to the tea like uh probably yeah, I read that the take they used with Madden was his first take on set that day really oh, really so apparently I haven't seen Game of Thrones but apparently Madden's in Game of Thrones yeah and the guy who plays the younger Blake's also in Game of Thrones but mm. they play like enemies on the show yeah, yeah they do it's oh, kind really? of a bit weird yeah uh Madden plays Rob Stark, hope I'm not getting that wrong. And uh, Dean Charles Chapman plays a Lannister, like King, forgot his name. But yeah, a lot of Game of Thrones cameos there. So that is a wrap for 1917. What a film. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Cinemates, a podcast where a bunch of mates chat about cinema over some drinks. And huge thank you to Savage and Vlarch for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. No worries. It was great chatting with you. As always, please let us know what you want to hear about in future episodes by sending us a DM on Instagram or TikTok at cinemaze underscore. Otherwise, we'll catch you for the next episode.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Cinemates. Make sure to follow us and leave a review on your chosen streaming platforms. Also, check out our Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube channel for more Cinemates content. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge Australia's First Nations people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land and pay respect to the Camaragal people of the Eora Nation upon whose country Cinemates is based. We honour the storytelling and culture of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities across Australia. Also, in the spirit of chatting with mates, remember it's always important to check in with those around you. Whether it's friends, family or colleagues, sometimes they may be going through a hard time. Chatting with them may reassure them that they aren't alone. If you or anyone you know is ever struggling, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.